You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you enjoy listening to Corology, then I need your help. Here's why. I create Corology by myself on a shoestring budget, recording and editing every episode in my tiny closet. How's that for irony? That's where you come in. Will you help keep Corology on the air by supporting it financially? By tipping as little as $1 a month, you can help me improve and keep making Corology every week. All you have to do is jump over to MatthiasRoberts.com support to make a pledge and listen away. Hey friends, this is Matthias Roberts, and you're listening to Queerology, a podcast on belief and being. This is episode 67. I have my hot chocolate in hand. I have like this giant little mug of hot chocolate. I have my pajamas on, and I'm in the closet for the last time this year. Uh, this is the last episode of Queerology of 2018, part two of our year in review. Uh, going through some of my favorite moments from the podcast this last year. And, and for all of you who are like, I thought recording your podcast in the closet was a joke. Uh, it's it's not. Like, <laughs> I literally sit in my closet every week and, and record this podcast. I had, I had a friend come over the other day and he was like, so where do you actually record? And I was like, I opened the closet door and I was like, in here. <laughs> See? Oh my gosh. Uh, before we dive in, you probably heard me set my mug down there, and I'm going to pick it back up. And mm. Hot chocolate makes the world go round. Before we dive in, you've, you've heard me talk about this for the last couple of weeks, but the QCF conference uh, registration is open. Uh, the people over at QCF just announced yesterday uh, this project that we've been working on that, that I've hinted at a couple times and I've kind of talked about, but but for the first time ever this year, they're having a podcast stage at the conference, the Brian M. Eckstein podcast stage. Brian Eckstein uh, was, was the co-host of like the, f- well, I think was like the first ever uh, queer Christian podcast d- to hit the podcast world. Um, the Gay Christian Network 
podcast with Justin Lee. Uh, Brian and Justin co-hosted that podcast for years back in like the early 2000s. Uh, I remember listening to it. Brian passed away several years ago, uh, so it's it's really cool that they're naming this this podcast stage after him. I'm so excited and so honored. I'm joining Kevin Garcia. He's doing a live recording of A Tiny Revolution. Crystal Cheatham's doing her Lord Have Mercy podcast. Deborah Jean Lee is doing Kaleidoscope. Uh, Brian Murphy is doing Queer Theology. Uh, and then Sarah Elizabeth Smith is doing uh, Theosophia Live. So many good, incredible podcasts are going to be on that podcast stage all happening at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference in Chicago, January 10th through 13th. And if you use the code PODCAST19 when you register over at qchristian.org, you can get $10 off your registration, uh, P-O-D-C-A-S-T-1-9, over at qchristian.org. Come join us. Uh, Like I said, we're going through my favorite moments from 2018, it's so hard to choose from the second half of the year. There was, I, I just wanted to include every single episode in this, but I think I whittled it down to five. This first clip is from my interview with Julian Baker, who's just a delight. We talked about a lot of things in this episode, uh, but but this particular clip is from a conversation that we had about trying to find a church home and some of the guilt that can come with not going to church and then and then how we kind of work with that guilt Uh, from episode 47 here's julian baker but also yeah like for a while in my life i would try to read scripture daily i would just wake up and have quiet time and read scripture daily to offset that guilt like to hope that if i would just ruminate and study on my own then i wouldn't feel so bad about like not being at church on sunday and being like a spiritual delinquent which of course because i have been in and out of church my whole life and so have my parents um it it has never been such a strong thing for me as some of my friends who you know their parents have never missed a sunday and if their parents knew that they didn't go to church, it would be devastating. Um, but my my parents are like, you know, do whatever. Like, we trust you, and we have candid conversations about that. But um, And then I started to feel that I, as much as I wanted to engage in the academia of my faith and just being knowledgeable about it so that I have this arsenal of discussion whenever... Um, the multitude of politicized theology conversations come up. As much as I enjoy that pursuit, like the manifestation of God that I find most tangible is what occurs within a community. Um, But more and more, like I, I find that not limited to church. (laughs) And this sounds like a bunch of like, I don't want to say this word because it also might be offensive but it sounds like, you know, just like me being like a white girl yoga mystic, like the world is my church. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, I do find that there's a need for like specific and intentional conversations and faith communities. But I'm almost un- uh, unable to think of God in any other way th- uh, than interpersonal now. And so like that seems to be the most present spiritual task. I don't know if that makes sense or if it sounds like nonsense or if it sounds like I'm being mean 
to people who practice yoga, which I don't have a problem with. I think it's very healthy. My tour manager tries to get me to do yoga all the time. <laughs> I can't. Uh, I hear you, though. Like, I think, I, I mean, I, I wonder that, too, because I, I wonder about, so, I mean, what if church maybe, like, quote, unquote, church does look different for different people of where instead of it being this kind of like I, I go to a building on Sunday mornings, like, I mean, I, I, I often think about this podcast as church in a way of having like very intentional conversations around faith and there's a community involved and like, and I wonder sometimes like if that's enough, like as in like, maybe it is enough. Maybe that's okay. Like, and I, I, I don't know. Like, <laughs> Dude. Um, you said one of the most fascinating words uh, to me, which is enough. That's like the a word that I get super hung up on. Um, like what's enough or what is – for me, I guess it used to be what's right, you know, like what what is doing the right thing. And that took on a lot of different faces, whether it was um, – trying to be biblically right and follow like the teachings of Jesus and um, I guess the legalistic incarnation of rightness. And then later it was this like arrogant uh, over intellectual obsession with like philosophical ethical, right. Um, but then like what exactly like what is enough? You're um, I don't know what kind of, church you grew up in I feel like I've heard you talk about it and it was like a pretty traditional church am I correct yeah pretty traditional pretty conservative borderline borderline fundamentalist but I think they they were a little bit too heavy on grace to be fundamentalist but right about there so too heavy on grace to be fundamentalist is exactly what I think of when I think of it's almost like a veiled neo-calvinism of like where Total depravity is really drilled in to you. Like it, the worm theology that kind of illustrates God's magnitude by this like parabolic, um, like opposite, like the worse that we can imagine humanity is and, and the less we can uh, deserve God. And the more we remind ourselves that we're absolutely nothing, then the more impressive and unbelievable God's grace becomes because we're so bad. And that is supposed to be, I guess, like an instrument to teach humility. But what it really teaches is it, it, in, it instills uncertainty and, and self-doubt. And often, I think, um, self-hatred that is just wearing the mask of humility. And I think those two things are different. But then it makes you uncertain that anything you'll ever do will be enough because I mean, it's that what I was going to say is the conundrum that you are taught from childhood. If you grow up in a church that subscribes to that sort of um, belief is nothing you will ever do will be enough, but try your hardest anyway, but it's okay if you fail, but don't fail because then that's still bad. Like, and so from a very early age, you have to hold that uh, paradox in your mind. And I just think that there are more, it's not 
that it's not accurate, but it's the way that it, I think, can be weaponized to make people hate themselves. Goodness, there is so much to unpack in that episode. Uh, That's from episode 47 with Julian Baker. Julian just wrapped up another North American tour. And in February, for all y'all who are in Australia, uh, she is headed over to Australia in February, uh, stopping in South Korea uh, and Japan uh, on the way. She's going to be in New Zealand as well. So catch her tour uh, over in that part of the world. I I got to see her here in Seattle and like, oh my gosh, (laughs) she's just so good. The very next week, the Reverend Broderick Greer joined me. If if you don't follow Broderick over on Twitter yet, uh, you're missing out uh, at Broderick Greer. Uh, He joined me to talk about theology uh, as well uh, and, and kind of jumping off maybe a little bit of what, of what Julian was was just saying in that last clip, I asked Broderick about the role of imagination in theology. Uh, this is from episode 48. And when I was growing up in, in the Black Baptist Church of my childhood, the pastors and preachers would off, often cue the congregation to do some imaginative work when they would say, and now I need you to use your sanctified imagination. And if they were talking about the story of the woman with the issue of blood, they'd say, and it was dusty outside. And, you know, they'd add all of these textures to the story. Um, because for them, the text was not a straitjacket. It was a launch pad for creativity and imagination. And Anglicanism does the same thing. Why on earth do we use incense on high feast days in the Episcopal Church? Some people say it's a symbol of prayer. I am of the the school of thought and opinion that we use incense for the sake of using incense. It has no other purpose than to just be incense in the presence of God and of God's people. That sometimes beauty has to happen and has to be presented for the sake of nothing other than beauty. Um, I mean, it's like asking a couple, why, you know, why are you getting each other gifts for your anniversary? You know, or, or a very uncreative spouse reading a list of reasons why their spouse is so great instead of just singing a song or playing a song on a guitar. Like, you know, like we can be very, we can be really didactic about this stuff or we can be really creative about it. Um, and like my friend Mark Oakley says often, a sermon, so mu- a story is so much more interesting when you say once upon a time than when you don't. I mean, you can say once upon a time, a grocery and then read a grocery list. And that's more compelling than just reading the grocery list because it's cueing the hearer that something creative and imaginative is happening. And so theology must be undergirded by joy. It must be undergirded by creativity. And it must be undergirded by the reality that we are co-creators with God, that God has not given up on us, um, and that 
this world is not done being created. And I have some friends who are a little more simplistic about kind of biblical narratives. And they say, and I agree with them to an extent, I won't endorse this fully, but they say, Genesis begins with a garden and revelation ends with a city. And that's the trajectory that God wants us on is not to get back to the garden, you know, and you hear kind of um, murmurs of this in theology, people thinking um, we need to, to be more um, like Eden. And, and yet it seems that we're being pulled toward a new Jerusalem, this sort of holy urbanism, this sense that people from every tribe and nation and tongue are living out their own context, praising God from their own context. And it's this huge, beautiful, complex urban environment. And that is where we're headed um, in the eschaton which is very exciting. Yeah, I I I, um, I love that because I think so often I think I, I especially within queer context I think we, the garden is used as like that shining example of original creation and God's original design and a, a quotation marks around all of that but that kind of idea of we have to go back to to this idea of like how things were originally created whereas like that doesn't seem to be the trajectory of scripture as you're saying, like, Mm -hmm. and, and I'm curious, like maybe, or it sounds like you were about to say something. Well, and then you have to break it to those people that Genesis one and two are myths. (laughs) Like it's poetry. (laughs) This, these things aren't literal people. It's poetry. It's music. Like, let it be that it's not a, it's not a rule list or whatever. I'm I'm curious about like how how does that imagination kind of show up in your life as a queer person who practices theology? Hmm. Well, I I think some of it is saying I like giving myself permission and also giving other queer people permission to say we are complex and like we're allowed to tell stories that are not call me by your name or, you know, some other kind of gay classic, like coming of age, coming out story. Like we have, there are other like gay people also like go to the grocery store and die and get sick. And like, we are interesting and we're complex and that is okay. Um, I mean, I have loved, I watched a couple of days ago, Janelle Monae's new um, music video called Dirty Computer, which is awesome. And it's like 46 minutes. And one of the cool things about it, number one, is that she has Black people existing in the future, which is awesome. Because a lot of um, sci-fi and futuristic films do not have us existing in the future. Which just says a lot about white supremacy and whiteness and how we just don't exist in these people's imaginations. Uh, So number one, she has this existing in the future. And number two, she has like this main character who experiences joy and love and separation and loss um, and ends up winning in the end, ends up taking, uh, and this is interesting, the two people that she's in a relationship with out from this horrible laboratory. And I hate to spoil it for the people who haven't seen it yet, but 
she wins. Like, that's good. Like, it's good for, like, queer people of color, queer Black people to, like, win things and, like, be heroes and, like, not always live in the middle of a tragedy and always be... um because that's not how our lives are. Like our lives are complex. Like we win sometimes we lose sometimes. Like we are human beings. We're not just these one dimensional characters who exist for the dominant gaze, G A Z E. Like we exist and are self-referential and have a lot going on and are angry and get angry with our parents and, don't always like our significant others and have really, really annoying landlords because we're human and we're here um, in many ways, just like everyone else and yet like no one else. Uh, I feel like I could listen to Broderick talk about theology for forever <laughs> it's, it's so good and, and thankfully i mean i kind of can because his podcast mile high theology is stunning uh i would i would highly recommend that go listen to it over the break by the way queerology is going to be on break for the next three weeks I, I i guess i didn't mention that in the in the intro that was broderick greer uh from episode 48 uh, this this next clip is is skipping forward almost ten episodes to episode fifty seven with Rika Lively. Rika is talking about the gender journey that she has been on. Uh, that journey has continued since this episode. Rika is now going by both Rika and the name Reed, uh, and they are uh, transitioning pronouns. Uh, using she, her, and they, them pronouns now. Reed has a lot of very valuable insight into what it's like to be non-binary in a world that wants us to fit into very specific boxes. Gender for me has mostly been played out in how I dress, um, because I think, like you said, it, there's such um, strict rules around gender and that usually comes out in clothing. Um, like men aren't allowed to wear skirts or dresses. Um, and like women wearing pants was revolutionary years ago. Um, and so for me, um, like I shop in the men's section now whenever I buy clothes. And uh, that was a really, uh, that was transformative for me for multiple reasons. One, it was liberating because I've always wanted to wear men's clothes. Um, I did something about style, something about the way it fits. Um, I just, a lot of women's clothes, like shorts, are always way shorter than shorts that I'm comfortable wearing. And so buying men's shorts meant I could buy shorts at a length that I liked. Um, but also shopping in the men's section meant shopping in the men's section. And I was a woman surrounded by men and I felt really uncomfortable. And I was like, okay, how can I look like I'm shopping for like a boyfriend or a brother or something, you know? Um, but for me, it's it's really just been how I express myself with fashion. And so um, you know, I wear my hats every day. I usually have a hat on backwards. Um, and that's been a freeing thing too, because before I, I came out as queer, I dressed really femininely on purpose. So people wouldn't assume I was gay. Um, and so part of this, my gender has also been kind of been tied to my sexuality, which gender and sexuality get looped together all the time, even though they're different things. Um, 
for me, they've kind of been tangled together because with me being able to come out, I've been able to also explore my gender with a little more freedom because I think being part of the LGBTQ community, there's a little more freedom to express your gender than there is when you're straight um, because people assume that you're going to fit in this box and that you also that like you may not have the desire to explore when really um, I imagine there's probably a lot of cisgendered or straight people who want to explore their gender who don't get a chance to. Um, but for me, it's been an interesting relationship with my body. Um, you know, I have a pretty feminine body. Um, I'm pretty curvy. Um, and I have breasts and, you know, that those can get in the way sometimes because in trying to shop for masculine clothes, um, things don't always fit the way I want them to. Um, so I actually bought a binder, uh, the other day and that was a really freeing moment for me too, because it was, you know, there's this tension of like, well, maybe if I loved my body more, then I wouldn't feel this way. But I don't think it's about loving your body. I could love my body um, to pieces and still have this gender tension. Um, and so having a binder was also pretty liberating for myself because it was a way for me to express kind of what's in my head um, and to present more masculinely. Um, and that fit with, with what was in my head um, and I don't know. There's, there's just something about being able to present the way that you want to feel. Hmm. It's, it's powerful. I mean, it, it sounds like a, like, I mean, you, you said a liberating experience and, that, and as you're talking, like, that's exactly what it sounds like is to be able to present the way that you see yourself in your head um, or the way that you want to, like, that sounds so freeing. And like, I would imagine like the confidence that comes with that is, is probably profound is that true? Like, yes, on some days, right? Because it depends on where I am. Um, like if I'm, so we just moved, my wife and I just moved to Phoenix. Um, we moved from Tallahassee and we're in a new location. And so I'm not technically we're in Scottsdale. We're right outside of Phoenix. And so, um, like, I'm not quite sure how the queer community is accepted here. Um, in Tallahassee, we had a strong community. And so like my wife and I could go to church in Tallahassee and I could wear like a button down with khakis um, and dress really masculinely and probably even wear my binder if I wanted to um, and feel really confident standing next to my wife, um, feeling very queer, feeling in, you know, very masculine presenting and feeling very confident because I know I was in a safe place. Um, but now that we're in a new town, I'm not sure how the queer community is accepted. And so we'll be walking down the street and I'm dressed the way I am. Uh, and I'm holding hands with my wife and I'm like looking around, like wondering, like, are people looking at us? Like, how do they see us? Um, and even like um, on road trips, when we made our road trip from Tallahassee to Scottsdale, um, we stopped at a lot of small towns um, and just going to the bathroom, there was this fear of like, okay, I'm about to walk into the woman's restroom. Um, I get misgendered on a regular basis. Is someone going to think that I'm a man in a woman's bathroom? Um, like, are people going to feel unsafe? Because I've had someone come up to me before I was in the restroom and, and I was wearing a hat. I had like a striped shirt on and jeans, um, pretty casual, like not super masculine, just a t-shirt and jeans and a hat. And someone came up to me and was like, am I in the wrong restroom? And I, I was so scared because I didn't know what they were going to do. Uh, and I felt so uncomfortable and embarrassed and ashamed and I was like, man, like, I, like, this is who I am. This is how I feel confident. This is how I feel comfortable. 
yet it's it just made someone else feel uncomfortable or questioned like if they were even in the right restroom. And so there are days where it's hard to feel confident in that in a society that doesn't quite accept gender exploration. That is from episode 57 with Rika Lively. Uh, you can follow along with their journey over on Twitter at Rika Donier. That's R-I-K-A-D-O-N-Y-E. This next clip is from an episode that I had no idea would get as much response as it did. Um, apparently people don't talk about asexuality that much. Uh, and, and I didn't know that. <laughs> when I decided to do an episode on it. Um, and, and so then we did another episode on it and we'll continue to do episodes uh, having these conversations around asexuality, aromanticism. Uh, this is from episode 59 with Bailey Bronner. Uh, when I asked her what advice she would give to people who are discovering that they may be asexual. First and foremost, there's nothing wrong with you um, for how you uh, desire to have sex or not desire to have sex or what that looks like for you. There's nothing wrong with you. I would say that first and foremost. Um, my, my journey sort of took place on the opposite side of that, um, thinking that there's something wrong with me. I thought there was something like extra good about me because I wasn't having this like sexual desire. So I'm growing up with this um, I grew up in the local church in my, my home church was not, um, it was pretty progressive and affirming. And I never got those messages of like, don't have sex before you're married or this like purity talk about like, Oh, if you don't, um, if your first kiss isn't on your wedding day, like it's not going to mean as much and blah, 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 that whole thing. Um, I didn't get those messages from my church, but I did get it from my friends who were part of other churches. Um, and they're, uh, I sort of was under this impression that, oh, like they're all Christian. So if they're telling me that this is true, then it must be true. And so um, entering my like middle and high school years or whenever um, society tells you that you're supposed to be like automatically interested in in sex and relationships, um, I had this this conception that was in the back of my mind of you're not going to have sex till you're married. And like, this is just how it works. Um, and I was finding that it was, it was not that hard for me to do. Like it wasn't, I wasn't having like sexual thoughts about people or like wanting to have, um, wanting to be like intimate in that way with people. And so from that, um, at the same time, hearing these things like, oh, you're going to struggle with this and it's going to be so hard. And like, you have to have faith that God's going to like, um, help you through this like horrible time or whatever, um, I kept thinking to myself, like, wow, you're such a good Christian. Like you are not even struggling with this. Like you're just doing, like you're doing all the right things, like way to be pious, like all of these, these kind of funny things. And then, um, of course, like hindsight is 2020. And so now I recognize that as like, oh, that was like, you like you were asexual. You are asexual. Like that was what that was. Um, you didn't, you're not a great Christian because you, don't want to have sex. Like that's not how it works. And you probably were a worse Christian than you thought you were because you were bragging about how great you were, like all of these things. And so that was sort of my journey into it. Um, and the kind of recognition of it wasn't something, um, I never really struggled with thinking that anything was, was wrong with me necessarily, or that I should change anything about myself, but hearing the language 
um, around asexuality helped me to know that I am not alone and helped me to know that like, oh, there's, there's a word for this. There's like a label that you can give yourself to help people understand who you are a little bit more and not have to deal as much with the, the kind of misunderstanding that so often comes with this sort of ambiguous um, sense of self when we're not able to say like, I am fill in the blank. It can be um, challenging for people to accept us and to know us as who we are. And so it was a really life-giving thing for me when I learned that language and when I uh, realized that that was something that more than just me experienced and that there was nothing wrong with me in that too. Bailey is a pastor at a small United Methodist church in Alaska. Uh, She posts a lot of her sermons up to her blog. Uh, So if you're ever looking for a good sermon, go check those out. uh, Baileybronner.wordpress.com This this final clip, the the last highlight of the year, uh, is from episode 62 with Allison Stoner. This episode was such a treat. Uh, I grew up watching Allison on TV and in movies and, and to be able to sit down with her and, and to have this conversation was so much fun. And and I feel like Allison's words in this clip and in the whole episode is just a great reminder for us as we walk into this holiday season to stay in tune with our bodies because they're incredible tools. Um... And then with dance, I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. You know, I was very prudish anyway for many reasons, um, and and my faith kind of contributed to that. Um, I didn't date until after I was 18. I was in certain, like, dance classes that were provocative, and all I could hear were, like, scriptures and, like, I, I wasn't able to explore anything because there was just no freedom. Um, and I didn't want to get it wrong. I just wanted to be the perfect Christian for God, you know? Um, and and I, I look back and I'm like, oh no, like, where did we, where did we get off the path? Like the body, oh, is full of intelligence and, and guidance and wisdom. And wow, it's, it's, it's your gift. It's your like, it's giving you clues all day long as to what feels right and doesn't feel right. Safe, not safe. Um, your gut is holy. Like using the word gut as a Christian to me f- five years ago would have been like, Ooh, can you at least say the spirit, you know, can you at least say the Holy spirit. Um, and now I, I'm just so, so grateful for my skin, for my body. Um, and I have to remain grounded in it. That's sort of, I feel the way I'm able to encounter the divine all day long, as opposed to having to retreat to a prayer room and pray for an hour to get back in contact. You know, my cells are a reflection of the divine. I, I, everything is spiritual. I remember going to, um, I believe it was a Rob Bell. That sounds uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> a Rob Bell uh, uh, conference. And for the record, I had only ever listened to interviews of him years prior, during which I like scolded <laughs> things. Um, and finally, when I was able to hear him firsthand relay the full story, I went, 
oh. And of course, I was there standing next to my girlfriend at the time. And even she, who didn't come from the church, we were like, okay, this is sort of a happy middle ground for now while we're figuring out what this is. We don't have to agree with everything. We don't have to disagree with everything. Um, but he connected a lot of dots for me and he brought the body into the equation and he brought science into the equation. And I was like, oh, wow, this doesn't sound like some kind of like whitewashed, uh, evangelical washed version of science and body where you still like are scared to really talk about how things feel in your body. Um, it was a real rooted, rooted, uh, uh, display. So I am just rambling today. I love it because, again, and I know I just said this, but it, it, to me, it doesn't feel like rambling. Like, I feel okay. like all of these things are so deeply connected um, mm-hmm. in the way everything is connected. Everything is connected. Everything is spiritual. <laughs> everything is spiritual. Even if you don't use the word spiritual, I just yes. I invite everyone who's listening who might have come from my audience and is not Christian mm. or whatever you feel about things. Like if the word spiritual is uncomfortable, I am so okay with recognizing like that there are literal frequencies and energies that you can measure scientifically. And that's, that's okay. Like that's abs- more than okay. That is real. <laughs> it's true. Um, so I just want to be as inclusive as possible. And thankfully I'm, I'm no longer intimidated by like, uh, getting the words right and wrong. Um, that's, that's been super freeing. Although I know it scares a lot of people in faith groups. (laughs) May we all find that freedom. Friends, that's it. Uh, consider Queerology wrapped up for 2018. Uh, like I said, going on break for the next three Tuesdays, which means Queerology will be back with all new episodes on January 15th. If you can't wait that long, come join us at the Q Christian Fellowship Conference January 10th through 13th and Queerology Live. I'm sitting down with Dave and Tino Kaloff to talk about their new book, Modern Kinship, A Queer Guide to Christian Marriage. And a huge thank you to each and every one of you who listened to Queerology this year. In the midst of all of these episodes, we managed to raise enough money to keep Queerology on the air. So grateful for that. Couldn't do that without you. Uh, Know that I'm mindful of each and every one of you, all of this big queer queer family uh, over the holiday season. I know that it can be really hard. So know that I'm mindful of all of you uh, as we walk into the season together. Uh, Go back and listen to some of these episodes. Listen to some of the other podcasts mentioned. And until next year, y'all, bye. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.